Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. My name is Douglas Parsons. Dennis Cambly is today's guest. Dennis founded a gay and lesbian magazine in 1993 called Times 10. This magazine ran for 12 years in print. He also has worked on the Pride Committee for a total of four years, consistently bringing all the events higher and higher in attendance throughout his years. He was named Citizen of the Year by the Imperial Sovereign Court of the Wild Rose in 1997, and he was also presented with the Michael Fair Award for active participation in the community in 2001. Today with Dennis, we're going to talk about Times 10 Magazine and its impact throughout the years, as well as the early days of Pride here in Edmonton and in Alberta, as he came to Edmonton in 1974 in order to work at Chum Radio. Before I bring Dennis to your listening ears and your screen, I do want to mention that Tales of the 2S LGBTQ Plus is a weekly video and audio podcast that showcases the remarkable people within our 2S LGBTQ plus community. By listening to our stories, which are your stories, we gain insight, understanding, and connection. So let's continue to connect throughout 2022 while being introduced to amazing people and topics. This episode was recorded live So do expect technical hiccups, voice snafus, and other unexpected hijinks, which may have happened and has likely been experienced at some point in today's interview. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify, and you've enjoyed the content found in this, as well as previous episodes, please leave us a star rating and a message. These ratings do help us when it comes to algorithms, Apple notices it. We need your voice. And, of course, if you're watching here on YouTube, please press subscribe as you will receive future notifications whenever a new interview is posted. Best of all, though, word of mouth. And thank you to everyone who has sent episodes to friends, especially with topics you want your friends to know about, about people. That word of mouth, the sending of links, is what keeps us going. So thank you, thank you, and more thank yous. I am based here in Edmonton, Alberta, as well as today's guest, Dennis. And it's important for me to say that I would like to acknowledge that I am on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional meeting grounds, gathering place, and traveling route to the Cree, Sado, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. I acknowledge all the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries, especially the knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us and those who came before. I'm opening myself to listen, to learn, and to understand, and I hope you join me on this journey as we continue to learn the truth. Today on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, my very special guest is Dennis Cambly. May I present him to your screen and to your listening ears. Thank you. Dennis, welcome. Oh, the intro. <laughs> and don't forget, 
subscribe and thumbs up and leave a comment on YouTube. <laughs> Perfect. Dennis, I'm learning all the time. Um, one of my best friends, uh, Dwayne Holm, always is on my case to ask people to subscribe. So slowly, surely, I'm learning. It takes a while. It just, for me, I'm like, eh, just listen, do what you want. But uh, it is important. I, I've come to learn this. Hey, Dennis, we talked briefly uh, before doing this interview a little bit about yourself. This is going to be first of many different topics because I now know you love to talk. You love to communicate. So I'm looking forward to hearing stories, hearing all about everything that you have done, but also using my teacher self and corralling you into certain topics at certain times. So I'm putting you on task as well, Dennis. Besides, you have uh, mute. <laughs> the mute button is there if we need to. Hey, um, before we go into you coming to Edmonton in the 1970s, I really want to focus on Times 10. Because for me, it was my gateway into the community. Uh, it was a magazine that one was able to pick up and know that there was a community in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and worldwide. Even when myself, I was not ready to put myself out there every day, Times 10 was a way for me to know what was happening. For you, why did you create Times 10? Hmm. Uh, the year Times 10 was created, uh, that autumn, uh, I had uh, two of uh, my friends in Calgary pass away. Uh, both were 30, and I was there <clears throat> during the last uh, few minutes of uh, Jimmy's life. Uh, we had had lived with AIDS, uh, HIV, and uh, there were only a few of us there. And uh, he sort of grabbed me and pulled me over, uh, kneeled down beside him where he was laying and asked me to let people remember. I thought for a long time after that, uh, he passed away. And uh, I thought about it for a bit. How would I tell people <laughs> his story and others? And that was the, the real Kickstarter for why the magazine began. We had gone through the 80s, ignored. Uh, HIV was first detected in 76 in France, 1976. And it just, uh, millions of people died. And when so many, uh, we were getting very numb. Oh, so-and-so is not, oh yeah, okay. But when you're there with someone and this beautiful person has turned into a skeleton, and our last request is to not let people forget. Uh, it kind of sticks with you. And uh, 
as the that was in August and uh, through the rest of the up until November, I gathered up a few people. And it was really apparent at that time too that Edmonton didn't have its own publication. We were getting publications sent up to Edmonton from Calgary. And there was no voice for Edmonton in there. So the first issue came out in uh, December, first of December, first week of December, in a bitter cold day, wind howling. <laughs> it was, well, Edmonton. And uh, Kevin, one of the original board members, had his truck, met magazines in back, covered up with a tarp, just howling. Uh, and that's how it's the magazine basically started and that was what its purpose was was to educate people about HIV and sexually sexual infections um, and to give Edmonton people of Edmonton a voice anybody a voice for our community and we had many voices. And it was a magazine that lasted for quite a long time. 14 years, was it? 112 issues. It went till uh, July of 2005. And then it stayed online for two more years, just online. Uh, and it was brought. So over the years, um, it started off as remembering your friend. You mentioned uh, his name being Jimmy, um, talking about HIV, AIDS, sexually transmitted diseases. How did Times 10 evolve over the years to be so much more? It just grew as the community grew together. Um, we st I remember... Uh, the, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Um, maybe it was you. Um, it was uh, in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, good grief. Anyway, and <laughs> as it started out, <laughs> we had one page dedicated for community groups. That's all there was. Um, businesses that had gay, lesbian owners uh, were very few. And there really weren't a lot of events, like, except Pride Week. Yeah, it was stirring up by this time. Um, but it was still very, very small. So as the magazine, as the community began to grow, uh, more and more groups wanted to be listed in the magazine. And we had, and Groups would write articles, and the swim team would write an article. Different, different groups would write articles. And that centerfold became four pages of groups in the city. And it was a pretty small print. I mean, I got people on shrinking it because there's, uh, but there was a lot of, lot of activity, and that grew over the first 10 years. It just sprawled. And people started seeing it, a lot of people started seeing it as an avenue to communicate to other groups, to other people in 
we had a lot of stories, a lot of stories, local stories. Um, I wanted more stuff from rural areas because I know the rural areas, uh, it's nasty for someone in a rural community, especially ones under, even under 10,000, it's even worse. Uh, you don't know. It's it's still bad even today. Uh, Very much hear, so. You, you hear about the conversion therapies, and it's in the small communities where it's really really the church jumps in and we're going to save you, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And where where are the outlets? So in the magazine, there were groups all had they had phone numbers. They were, Alcoholics Anonymous, there were several gay AA meetings, uh, say LGBTQ, whatever, if you want. Uh, there were a lot of people that were meetings on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. So the, everything was in there. Did you find that the community embraced Times 10 or was it something that you had to really push onto people to say, hey, here are your stories. Here's what we're trying to do. Was it you? Did you feel like you constantly had to push times 10 to the readers or was it something that the readers uh, flocked to over the years? Well, we had a lot of help. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned to you, I, Maureen Irwin was my mentor. <laughs> she was, every issue of the magazine, she Swamp up, where are you? <laughs> uh, she she loves that egg, <laughs> and she just give direction on hey, try getting this person, and she gave drops. She knew a lot of people, so just the mo most adorable woman. <laughs> she really is, was, uh, she still is in my mind. Um, so we had those kind that that kind of back pushing, you know, kind of pushing you, and. Yeah, you're trying to do your business, uh, you know, bring an income. <laughs> um, magazine becomes uh, your life, basically. And we had help from Darth from View Weekly when it was around. Uh, going back, so it, when View was really very popular, uh, Garth uh, worked out a, an arrangement so we could have timestamp magazine delivered uh, to 800 different locations mm. and there were mail outs we mailed them out to the community in Saskatoon we all across Canada and half the United States we'd mail them out even to as far away as Berlin so the magazine was Word spread. We had also help from the gay publication, one of the big ones in, in Montreal, uh, and extra out of Toronto. Visit, stop on the plane and go and see them talk. When I saw that publication out of Montreal, almost flipped. I mean, it was 200 pages of color, but it was it was a pocket size almost. And that, it was clever, you know. You could put it in your jacket pocket. Uh, and they had everything in there. So they gave a lot of advice, too. 
and they also contributed articles. Uh, we had articles coming from everywhere. And the, the more it expanded by growth and distribution, the more feedback came. <clears throat> and in 94, I'm not sure exactly the month, but it was early in 94, we went online on the internet, the website. It was one of the first gay publications on the internet hmm. uh, yeah, of its type. And it was, uh, <laughs> the original design was uh, for the cover, a um, nice stationary cover. It was from uh, Edmonton Telephones. <laughs> really? Yeah. They they were just thrilled to help. So they designed a nice cover. Uh, sort of set up the publication online. So you just click different sections. Uh, it, was, it was a nightmare for us. <laughs> you know, now, you, now you have to learn HTML. <laughs> so you have to learn all this other stuff. And then you get advertisers wanting to baptize online from all over the place. And it, we're talking 94. 1994. <laughs> um, so it, that really helped spread the news very, very rapidly across the internet. Uh, is there a, is there a story or a personality that stands out to you that you're like, yeah, that was the best story that I've ever wrote, or that's the best story I ever printed? Gee, there are a lot. No. We had so many people writing. Liz Messiah wrote our uh, Speaking of Normal. That was her column. Um, and she was really consistent with it. You know, it was there every issue. <clears throat> and that one stands out for me. Uh, um, the uh, the, the uh, really nice... Uh, article from Vice President Al Gore was really nice. I remember that. Um, a lot of people don't know <laughs> just how far it went. Um, it was nice to see because, and then he opened the door for CBC so we could bring material in. And it was work that <clears throat> the government of Canada was really, really thrilled with me. We, we published, uh, what was it was called, uh, On the Battlefront. And there were these short articles, uh, all from CDC, out of the, America, out of the United States. Uh, I, got, I got letters and phone calls from the federal government asking, who gave you the right to publish that? That material is, shouldn't be published in Canada. Really? Okay. Oh, well, by this time, I had Al Gore's phone number. Uh, so, get directly through. So, I gave it to them. the government of Canada on one of these calls, answering their correspondence, just never stops. Right? And we're going way back to 94, uh, 95. And I gave them the phone number. I said, Will you phone this fellow? Uh, 
just ask for Al <laughs> and uh, tell them who you are and uh, ask them uh, who gave uh, him the right to publish anything uh, that a Canadian publication published material. I heard back from them. All I said it was smart ass. That was clever. Mm -hmm. Why did Al phone you and talk to you? <laughs> no. But we realized when they answered the phone, the Office of the Vice President of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I love doing that kind of crap. <laughs> well, you mentioned the word smartass. And so is that a word that would describe Dennis Campbell to other people? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I've been called that. <laughs> yeah. So... So if that's part of your identity and you've embraced it over the years, you know, so when you're looking at times 10, where are the issues today? You know, where, you know, it's been 15, 16 years since uh, times 10 left us. Uh, but where can people find that material if they wanted to go back and take a look? Yeah, well. It's available in the Library of Congress, and uh, it's there, same as the archives of Ottawa, you know, in, in magazines and periodicals, all 112 issues. Uh, and you can read them like magazine, okay? Um, they're available in Berlin in their archives, <laughs> gay, gay and lesbian archives. And, um, they're available in the archives. Uh, it would be uh, LA because uh, they want. We we had a lot of communication with Los Angeles and how we, how we were doing in Canada and how we were doing it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's real simple. I said you've gone and screwed everything up by calling it the LGBT. Uh, rights. We didn't do that. We went for gay and lesbian rights. And the others were welcome to our group, but we needed to get the foundation down first because we're the ones that faced persecutions for 1,600 or so years. So that's how we did it. And they switched and they got the, got the got to push through the ledge. It's hard to explain that, those initials to people. Through 12, 14, 15 years of doing a publication, I would imagine that you were involved in so many events and taking part in not just writing down what you saw and what was happening, but also taking pictures of the events. And it's my understanding that there are thousands of pictures that have been taken during this time of the magazine. and. My question is, Dennis, where are these pictures today? Well, let me explain first <laughs> why. All of the photography we were doing with 35 millimeter cameras. Okay. I always carried a camera, uh, every event. All of, all of the shows put on by the court, 
things, but I don't have to roast things. But all the events, the roast, all the clubs, where I could get in, uh, the the events were, were photographed, <clears throat> and we had uh, there were two or three other volunteers that would, hey, I'm going to this event, yeah. You know, so I would give them film. Um, I, would, I had 36 exposures on each wall, so each person could take two. Uh, and then I would get three copies of each printed. One for archive, one for the group, one for the magazine. Uh, over the years, <laughs> piled up. Oh my God. Uh, four boxes, uh, large box. They were, didn't stand up this high uh, from the floor, <laughs> it's, uh, a meter. Uh, there were four or five boxes of uh, photographs. Those photographs uh, were taken to the Edmonton Archives in 2006. The, the, I, I have a copy of all that, a uh, digital copy, stashed away. Um, <clears throat> everybody wants to get their hands on. But uh, the archive, in the since 2006 have uh haven't done anything with it well, why is that there's a treasure trove of memories for our lgbtq plus community so why has why haven't they done anything with it no money the uh city has uh 20 billion for a, to run a train around the city but they can't spare a couple million uh, to send to the Edmonton archives uh, and let them. We're not the only ones that are stacked up in warehouses. Um, when I last spoke to the archivist, she said it would probably be another 10 years at the rate they're going and how much they can do a year. It's only her and one other person part-time, from what I understand. And it will take another 10 years to get get to our archive because there are many other people in, in you know groups in the city that have sent materials to the Edmonton archives and the city of Edmonton ignores it. And it's sad. We should have uh, a couple of people really go and bang on their door. You know, they're sitting there right now. You, I looked through the budget, last year's budget, and there's nothing allocated uh, to the Edmonton Archives. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing of an increase. It's just forgotten. And the trouble, what happens there is the Edmonton Archives completes it. And then the provincial archives will take that, borrow the collection, and put it into online with the provincial archives, or perhaps it would be available there for people. And then once that happens, well, 
we kind of went backwards. I knew people in, in, in Autobot, the archives. So I sent stuff directly to them. If they had the full publication, uh, they would also have that collection added to the archives of Autobot. And then it just kind of right, spreads right around, all around the world to anybody who wants sections of archives. Or they always have, they can have access to the, our Ottawa archive. Yeah. It, it makes uh, a big difference. Uh, websites use photographs and they put them there and you see underneath them you know, compliments from the Ottawa archive or something like that. And Edmonton's archive has just been forgotten. So we need. Edmonton archives to get the funding, to get people to record what is there. So then provincial, federal, worldwide, we can get our stories out there. I, it would be, oh gosh, it would be a present for everyone to be able to see because many of the people in those photos are no longer with us or you see them in their early stages of life, just exploring their identity, learning about themselves and they'd be able to reflect upon that. Uh, and as we build our stories, as we learn how to write or to tell our stories, those pictures are so important. Uh, because I know, Dennis, in researching uh, for many of the different people I have for this podcast, finding photos of people during those years, it's hard to find because nothing's been digitized or anything like that. So. It's much needed, so, so needed. And it is needed, and I know I've had requests to dig into the archives that I have on digital ones, and I keep on backing away from them. Because oh, come. I want the archives available to everyone. Mm. Now, I have the archives of Times.10 Magazine and the archives of Jim Schaefer, and the archives of uh, Dow Hicks, I have all three. And I think it's it would be improper use of some of those archives to uh, be plastered on a website where only two people have their names all over it. And I just think that's really wrong. Uh, I, I These archives belong to everyone uh, in Edmonton, and they belong to The general community worldwide, and I am really particularly, you know, Canada. That's where I would like to have our archives known, and so that it can get into the smaller villages and towns, and they call themselves cities under 10,000 people, and to see what goes on there. Uh, they would have access, they would know that there's something happened. Of course, we don't have a I don't know. No, we don't have an 800 number like they do in the States. We were, we were just in the last year or two of Times 10, uh, we were just about to connect with the U.S. Uh, on an 800 number. And that was one of the other projects I really wanted to do, and it didn't happen. Uh, the, the photographs and everything about the magazine—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's got to be available to stationary. I call them stationaries, like 
sites, the archives of Ottawa, in Ottawa, the archives in, in Edmonton. Every city has, major city has an archive. Uh, and it's not where you pick and choose who's going to be in the archive. Mm. Uh, I don't, that's, not, that's not an archive where, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in this photograph and this one and this one, I'll put my pictures into the archives and I'll make sure that I get my favorite members, uh, people into the archive or onto that website, a website. I just think, oh, that's not the way to do it. Sorry. I, I'm, I, I'm sticking on uh, being more scholarly. <laughs> and that's your right. That's your right. I do want to just mention for our listeners and our viewers, uh, you mentioned that you have um, the photos, the archives for two people, Jim Schaefer and Dow Hicks. Uh, Jim Schaefer, well-known owner for Boots, uh, a bar pub in Edmonton for a long time uh, before his health became poor. Uh, he was involved with the court and also Dow Hicks, former owner of The Roost, uh, plus many more other things that he was involved in in his life as well. So very significant treasure trove of photos, um, memories that um, that are within these um, archives itself. Yeah, both. I miss both. Dow uh, is my sort of solid and shape for a laugh. I work for him. <laughs> He's a little crazy. Uh, miss him. There, and they they gave me instructions. That they read very much the same similar lines to me. Um, that they these 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 were not to be just tossed into a pile and people pick and choose. Uh, Schaefer, by the way, was so <laughs> anal. My God, he wrote on every speed had every photograph had every what's going on, and he had a thing on the back what the event was, the exact date, year, you know, wow. he was really, uh, Dow was similar. He didn't write anything on the back, but he had them in uh, you know, special binders. And they weren't those sticky things that you know, rip off the picture when you go to take it off. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they were, he had them all in there and he, uh, underneath all the people listed. I need to ask the obvious question, and I don't know the answer for this. Why was the magazine called Times 10? Oh, um, it was uh, five members of the original board. <laughs> we sat around one night coming up with my names. Uh, and I had thrown out Times Point 10 as a bit of a, a joke. Um, and then we went around and around with all these other names. And I remember Kevin kind of looking at me <laughs> with a glass of scotch. And he said, what the hell are you thinking anyway? Times point ten. I said, well, you know, the old adage, 10, ten one in 10. And he said, well, no, that's not true. And I said, yeah, so what? <laughs> Call our magazine Times Point Ten, and I think gay people will see it <laughs> and go, "Oh, ten percent." 
It makes sense. It's, it took and, me a long amount of time because it took me until now to figure that out. Now it now it's obvious to me what the title is about. Well, I was, I was my back worked for large corporations and uh, was marketing. I, well, we're trying to market something, and I really want the straight people to read it. I, I want the straights because we were. Well, the battle wasn't quite raging yet. We, we had a lot of problems with our government, not recognizing significant portion of the population at all. You know, uh, so it was a matter of getting this publication distributed to as many places as possible, and that meant corner stores, you know, anywhere there was a news rack, and uh, getting it to there and seeing. The straight was your magazine of choice was the byline. So you had a choice. You could either read it or leave it on the shelf. Um, that was the second byline, plus the heading. And people, the show, the, the magazine was gone off the shelves. And it wasn't that they were being taken and thrown in the garbage. We knew that. Mm -hmm. um, we kept spying, <laughs> make sure. But we were only asked once to, if we could move the publication out of the mall, because they had someone complain. Uh, so we took it. It was up in St. Albert, their mall, and took it out of the mall uh, and put it at the drugstore right across the street. <laughs> you know, the fanatics out there, man, they, they go gunning for us. But it was only once. You know, so I think it was just good marketing ploy. Absolutely. We wanted so we, we wanted a conversation with, with straight community. Now, you know, I have lots of conversations <laughs> on Saturday morning. With some of the most fanatical right wing religious folks. And I have a fairly long education in uh, history and uh, Latin, you know, religious history uh, studies. And I, got, I remember times when we actually would meet up just. For coffee and have a chat. Never talk about anything other about the magazine or talk about religion. We just get into something or come on over for supper. After it just it was a matter of not having met a gay person. Mm. They only heard stuff and they got one line in, in the Bible. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, how about reading the line before? <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in 1946, it was 1946 when homosexuality specific was written into the Bible itself. So it's, yeah, there's religion and homosexuality. That is a 10 part series uh, and could go on for a lot more. Uh, well, Mickey wrote articles uh, looking at. Uh, God welcomes you, this kind of thing. It was a, Mickey wrote uh, 
on a consistent basis. And oftentimes, he would send me a 10,000 word, oh, you know, article. Jesus, it wasn't an article. It's like a, I have phone Mickey, it'll take up 20 pages of <laughs> Could you just, you know, trim it down to 500 words? <laughs> oh, just do what you want. And just to make sure, uh, which Mickey are you talking about here? Yeah, and Mickey, uh, larger than life uh, person who was involved with the Pride Center for a long time, uh, has accomplished a lot for our community as well. Uh, So giving Mickey major props or people give snaps, um, long term icon uh, who has helped our community greatly. Uh, so let's make sure that we always give Mickey credit because he's gone out of his way to make sure that space is available for everybody, and that's important. You know, through, you know I went went through the transition. I know watch mm-hmm. Mickey go through the whole transition, and uh... <laughs> I, I do want to ask you because we've been talking about times ten. So, what does the legacy of times ten mean to you? that there's a community here in Edmonton. Maybe a lot of people don't know about. We, I don't see the community very together right now. Uh, it's kind of being torn apart. Uh, it was, t- I wish it would, people would settle down and talk to one another. It would sure be nice. And that's what the magazine help people do is bring people on to the to a boardroom to a table someplace mm-hmm. let's talk uh, there were remarkable things happening women's space played a very big part times 10 as well uh terry and all of them uh dear love i love that group <laughs> i apparently was the first male <laughs> who was Whoever attended an executive meeting for its space, uh, you know, Maureen told me, well, miracles can happen. <laughs> uh, so that was a, you know, that was so much cooperation uh, and willingness from people to talk to one another. And they were all. There were cases where people got very angry with me for some reason and never spoke to me again. And they had played such an important role in the magazine for a decade and just wham. Uh, it wasn't for me. The magazine was for the community. Mm. I didn't do it for me. I, I wrote an editorial uh, took half a page, a 48-page publication. That was it. Everything else was community. Photographs, everything. So it, it was about bringing all groups together under one place. We didn't have a very strong center at the time. And the magazine would help expand later as it grew and the community grew, and people were willing to support financially 
something. It's, the Pride Center takes money. Uh, all the different committees or all the different uh, groups, they require funds. They have to reserve the pools and stuff like this. So they need funding. And here it was a, it was a matter of getting, getting people to understand that not everything is free, although the publication was for the person picking it up. But somewhere behind the scenes, someone paid. So it's like that with everything. There's always something, someone having to put up the box to make the events happen. Uh, swim club, I remember so much. <laughs> nice photographs. Um, you know, those kinds of things. The baseball, I love the baseball. Uh, the women had a lesbian team. team. They played down the valley. Uh, it was fun going to those kinds of events. I really enjoyed Liz Messiah, Michael Fair, and another person I've interviewed for an upcoming episode, Fred Dicker, as well as you. You've mentioned how in the last few years you've you've seen a lack of communication or communication is not there like it was before. From your viewpoint, from your lens, why is this lack of communication taking place? And what can we do to overcome that? Wow. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to listen anymore. Uh, everybody wants to be the, the king of the, the, the queen of the hill, you know? Uh, that's, that's not important. When, when you want to get something done, Pride Week, it requires people setting their egos aside. They really got to do that. You got to know Pride Week is for, for everyone. Everyone. No exclusions. Well, okay, you had a rough time with those people, but I never did. And most of us didn't. So how about if we compromise and you attend as a participant instead of trying to be the be all for the community? Mm -hmm. uh, I I read those those demands and I I, I shivered uh, thinking, wow, isn't that awful? What's happened? <laughs> you know, if anybody would have pulled that in 2001, uh, they would have been just tossed out of the room. Uh, just said, who are you and why are you doing this? You come into this room, you sit it down, and you have a conversation. And it might take many conversations, but they're not, there just seems to be an unwillingness of groups. And it's become, I mean, LGBT has become this thing. I saw one, I don't even know what the letters were, but it's so long and it's meaningless now. It's totally meaningless. Why do you say that? Because okay. LGBTQ, 
W-W-T-S-P-Y-S. What is that? It's a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of letters on a, on a, on a <laughs> nobody knows what it is. Every time someone comes along, they want to put their initials. And you say, well, hold on. How is this going to work? There is a real reason why gay men and lesbians have been tormented since the rise of Christianity and Islam and all the rest of it, those two majors, they have been persecuted since that time. It's been 16, 1700 years. I don't think you can find too many people who can go back that far in history and say, we were tortured to death on a daily basis. We were put in prisons and thrown away and forgotten. We were, we were to be executed on the spot. We were hanged in public on display. All these things that people just don't even relate to. They relate to the last two or three years of their time on, on the planet. And so now they're 17 or 18 years old, and we know it all. And they've been harassed by somebody or some 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 organization. And now that has become the focus, their entire focus. They're losing, they've lost their sight of the, the bigger picture of how it started and why gay men and lesbians got together and said enough. But Dennis, you know? the, the counterpoint to that though is somebody listening to this conversation, this part of the conversation would say that white men have accomplished what they set out to do and that there is a level of privilege, there is a level that they've achieved. And, and so we should be elevating other voices who haven't been heard from before. And that's the purpose of a platform. So what would you say to somebody who is listening? Uh, and there's going to be some who agree with you and there's going to be people who disagree with you. What do you say to those uh, people who are listening and may disagree with your viewpoint? Disagree all you want. Uh, I only ask you to be in the mood for a conversation. Hmm. There was at no point in time, in my years with the Pride Committee or the magazine or before that, was there ever, I, I don't remember, in, in, the, in the committees, subcommittees and different groups, I didn't see anybody say, you can't come in here, hmm. NATO. I had 15-year lover uh, deceased, uh, and I know the hardships. I, <laughs> the residential schools were livid, and the uh, blood-curdling scream would come at 3 o'clock in the morning, just uh, come bowling up out of the bed to try and do it. So I know that. 
I, I never, I don't remember us ever saying you can't come in here because your skin color is wrong. <laughs> I don't remember anybody ever saying that. And we had lots of different people input, and a lot of the public, a lot of the articles were from different groups. There wasn't a very how do I say this? I, there weren't at least visible on the streets and in the in the, in the parades and stuff. There wasn't a very a very big black community in Edmonton. Now, things have changed in those decades since uh, natives. Lots there were lots of natives. <laughs> they they were participants in everything, uh, and I think. As, as as we know that there's been a change in in our entire country, and it's instead of blaming the black the white guy, <laughs> well, okay, we 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 were the first ones to take out baseball bats and do something and say that's that's enough, you know, <laughs> screw this, um, and hopefully. The other communities, uh, other colors, creeds, uh, whatever, don't have to do that. Now, it doesn't mean they have to bash the gay community and stop a parade and go into a room, a committee room, and cause a fight, a fist fight. There's no reason for that. Come on. No, no one. I got kicked out of a group on Facebook. I was trying to hold these conversations, and you can't. They, they could just, you're gone. <laughs> Is it possible then that we will be able to come together as a community to create what will be Pride Week, Pride Month 2.0? Can there be a rejuvenation of the community where people are talking? Do you see that happening in the future? Well, in the future, yeah, probably 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the way it is now, we just people don't want to talk. Uh, they want to scream and yell, and I'm not, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I just, I, I, I did my time. Thank you. I, mean, I, I don't mind <laughs> meeting with some of the community members. Uh, I love to, and uh, that's great. Uh, Now it's up to, in the last 15 years, 15, uh, since times 10 went away, uh, I went away two years before that, um, mind-wise, and just, you know, I went into a massive problem. Um, so now it's up to the, the groups whatever they have, these factions, I suppose. I don't want to see them fighting each other. But they'll never get anyone. They'll, they'll only fight each other and, and and nothing will ever, ever happen. It gotta, it gotta be, okay, I'm not gonna demand, stop using that word, <laughs> demand. You have no right to demand. If they would have walked into the committee and said, we demand, I would have laughed at them, first of all, but you want 20000 <laughs> We ran the entire Pride Week on $25,000. So I don't know where you need twenty grand now. <laughs> you know, 
wow, that's inflation. Uh, so no, stop using those kinds of confrontational words. It's kind of what happened when I would meet with those really right wing groups. Don't use confrontation. Hmm. Uh, you know, you're not going to get very far. You know, and speaking with politicians, you're not going to get very far either. You know, at the provincial level, I knew several politicians, and I was quite involved. And I was sort of behind the scenes all through the latter. Well, I was one of the co-signers, one of the sign original signers for the 106th Street Social Club Society. I was in 79. But by that time, I was still a three-piece suitor, trench coat, looked like CIA. And um, <laughs> in the rooms with the politicians and had their ear. Uh, you got, there were people inside that worked hard. Us. We didn't sit there and scream at one another because of this fight. So, when you came to Edmonton, what did you find as far as a gay and lesbian community? Was there an active one, or was it something that had to be built? Oh, it had to be built. It really had to be built. I, the people I met from the gay community were at the Switchboard Lounge. It's gone. Uh, it was down in Macaulay. Now, there were two lounges down there, one Churchill, um, and the other one was the uh, Switchboard. God, they were just packed. Uh, gay, and, gay and lesbians, just jam-packed. It was like really cute, but what do, what do we have going? What's happening here? I, I mean, I... I I moved to Toronto where there were neon lights on the clubs in Toronto, right? On, on, on Young Street. And I'm like, okay, uh, you could you met a lot, a lot for sex, um, most for sex. But some friendships started to develop also. And you got I got invited to a couple of meetings where there were Maureen Merman, I remember Maureen getting at the meeting, and it was one of the first groups of some gay men lesbians meeting. And this is in like between 70, like 75, 76, 77. And then I started to meet other people. Uh, and then Cal and Pat, I uh, got to know them, Cal especially. Beautiful people. All these names are people that are gone. Um, and uh, they wanted to open this club. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they asked me, well, would you sign? Uh, and you do know that you're signing this. And yeah, it was the opening of Boots and Saddle. And it's, Boots and Saddle operated. Uh, that was the trade name uh, for the public. Hundred feet before there's a society there, 106 Street Social Club Society. <laughs> Jesus, Pat, just Pat was going. <laughs> could you make that a little longer? Um, <laughs> we signed those original 
documents of incorporation for boots, and that was 78, you know, no, September of 79. And so it was, that was the beginning. There was nothing. Montreal uh, had already been very active. Uh, Montreal, because their bathhouses were, the police were all over them, and they had enough. Uh, so they became, to me, the leaders uh, follow what they're doing and what Toronto was doing. And uh, those two groups, by the way, worked together, Toronto and Montreal, Quebec City. When you say that they had enough, what do you mean by that? Because uh, many of our listeners might not know what bathhouses are, its importance in the community, especially during those times. So when you say that they had enough, what is meant by that? Well, they were busted under city rules and regulations uh, from the previous century. Um by the police and by the city itself. The city departments were pushing to get these places shot down. A lot of people don't always think, oh, it's the police. Well, the police have to get an order from someplace, do something. And it was these departments, okay, we've got a rule, we've got a letter, and we've had a complaint. In the case of the one year in Edmonton, it was a gay male that had enough of his boyfriend going to the Pisces and made the phone call. He committed suicide, by the way, for those who don't know, in Vancouver. Um, years later, but he did. I don't know who he was. Um, and so there is a, a friend of the community, <laughs> a gay person blowing the whistle on, and that happened to me. So I, I was fired out of radio. That was really horrible what was going on in, in those years. And it was going on, Montreal, Montreal was attacked first. They were, they were on, it was held. After the New York, uh, Stonewall, then New York uh, was the, the, the beginning of the explosion, right? The anger finally came from the other direction, from the gay men and lesbians, and, and, and I always like to say, and drag queens. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to interject a little bit uh, just to give uh, people some more background. Uh, 1981 Pisces raid here in Edmonton. Uh, Darren Hagen is writing a book about that. Uh, he has done some stage work with it as well, taking a look at uh, the stories from that time. Um, there's lots of material that you can find online about it. Um, many times that we're talking about gay men here uh, being arrested for being in a body house. Uh, but it also should mention that it wasn't just gay men. Uh, it was women as well. In Toronto, I believe it was, there was the raid at the Pussy Palace uh, where women were targeted um, dur during that time as well. So, and I believe um, the Pussy Palace, I think that was about 2000 uh, when that took place. Uh, so not that long ago either. It's uh, been quite common with police to uh, come in and um, arrest people for it. Just giving some context to yeah, there, um, there is, and Montreal was before that, and exactly. Toronto had 
Toronto had a lot of problems. But you always got to remember that if the police are called, that's the key here. The police are called. The police just don't get the other one Friday evening and say, oh, well, hey, come on, gang. Let's all drive down to the to the Pisces and, and give the bags a little run around. <laughs> you know, that's not how it happens. There's a complaint filed. And there's a complaint filed until it's filed a couple of times until someone's and then the police have to look and well, they haven't got a law. <laughs> okay, the health department. Let's talk to the health department. The health department gets out. You know, there's a process. So it, uh, the police get the, the blame for a lot of stuff, but they never get the credit for saving my life uh, twice. And being there in 1982, they responded to a, a domestic phone call, a call on a domestic case of two guys. Mm -hmm. and I uh, and coming at me with a knife. You know, they were there. Uh, so there's always a flip to the story, and it's not just because I'm a white guy. I mean, I, I'm I'm a human. Uh, and I am a, a male who happens to be gay. And I know what it means to have slashes and knives jammed through my face and beaten almost to death. So there's all, all you got to look at every, every story from two sides. And that the Pisces thing was just horrible. And it, the journal. Publishing all their names. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, people were committing suicide. You know, and we were in an era where gay men were being attacked as the gay plague mm -hmm. HIV. It was being blamed. But no, and I don't know how we, we, we tried really a lot. There were a lot of stories uh, explaining that the world was already on fire with HIV. It hadn't landed here yet. And it finally landed in Florida. It was ignored. Uh, but the, the world would do HIV was widespread around the world. Mm -hmm. 35 million people have died in, in the 80s and the early 90s. And now there's 7 million a year still dying from it. Yeah. We've lost generations of people, generations of people that uh, just, I, it hurts to know what we've missed out on uh, with leadership when it comes to innovation, uh, just learned knowledge that we just don't have. Uh, I've mentioned on many episodes when we talk about HIV, um, I'm 46 and I never had someone that I could go to for insight and teach me the ins and outs of being a gay male. It's been figuring it out on my own. And it's difficult now, even though I found people in my life I can learn from and who are wonderful, but I'm now at an age of 46 and I blinked and I became 46 because I was 20 yesterday. And now all of a sudden I'm a father figure a daddy. Um, but it's weird because I'm thinking I'm just learning now 
because I never had the people before to learn from. And it's, it's sad. It's extremely sad. I do know that you were on the board for HIV Edmonton for many years. And so it's incredibly difficult. And as you mentioned, hundreds and thousands of men in this province who are no longer with us and women as well. Um, the 70s appears to me as, as a time of growth and fun and just being able to create things. Of course, being worried with the way that the world looks, but a lot of, a lot of creative energy. And I see, I see the 80s as just this, oh God, let's just hold on and let's try to get through this. When you reflect back on the 70s, 80s, and the early 90s, as it led up to the formation of Times 10, what are your thoughts about that time? What immediately comes to mind? Dancing, that flashback. <laughs> That's what comes to mind. I, <clears throat> the flashback was packed. Uh, packed. Uh, the roost was across the street. It was packed, and Roots was a block over, and it was packed. And then, with a blink, none of the clubs could had not. Had, the owners were all saying, "Where's everybody gone?" And I remember on a Conrad always did uh, a big Christmas dinner with the gay community at. Roots, and it was all home cooked. <laughs> he'd be there for two days and just he'd have helpers too. I, I, mean, I could do dishes or something up for him to just stay out of the kitchen. Um, and I remember <clears throat> the table. Uh, the last time it happened, we were sitting at the table and it was Danny and a few people. Looked around the club, looked at Danny. I could feel them. They're all here. And we started crying. They were gone, you know, but I could still feel them and I could still see their faces. And I'll never forget. They, I have one photograph of mine. There are 16 of us in it. <clears throat> for our Christmas dinner uh, at Wayne's place. And now there's only two of us. And that's it. And it was like that when uh, Conrad decided that, that that Christmas, that would be the last time that he would go ahead and do this big dinner. It was, you could feel a spirit because it was go to the boots. Everybody crowd over to <laughs> the boots empty out of completely, almost, almost completely at 10 o'clock. Gone over to the, the roost and uh, flash for dancing. And you dance your, your ass off uh, until four o'clock in the morning. It was just great. And that's what I read. Disco, uh, I, 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 I can hear those songs, you know. Hey, hey, guy. 
<laughs> I mean, it just rings in your head and it stays. There were wonderful times. And we came out of that with a, kind of a sobering reminder. Uh, and my two Jimmies in Calgary were the real slammer. I couldn't believe I could lose people that young. Yeah. Young friends dying and committing suicide. It was awful. People were yeah. committing suicide because they were HIV positive. Yeah. Michael Fair, in the conversation with Liz Messiah, uh, when it brought them both together, he was talking about how there's people in their late 20s, early 30s having to deal with death on a daily basis. And how are you equipped? No one should be thinking about that as much as people were at that time and having to survive. And so I, that, that brings me to a really difficult question here, uh, just because through research, I know a little bit more about your past and, and with, with addiction and overcoming it. Bring this, how have you survived? You know, you, you keep going despite the obstacles that have been in your way, addiction, otherwise. What kept, what has kept you going? There go I, but for the grace of God, <clears throat> I got sober. Uh, September 2nd, 1982, at 8, 10 p.m., I got sober and uh, I had a good doctor who had already given me uh, his uh, medical, they, they put out these freaking and journals every month and he'd given it to me with a sticker. He said, you better read this. And I read it and it was about gay men dying of an unknown disease. No one knew, except the French and the English knew. <laughs> but the news hadn't made it across the Atlantic by that time, you know. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people knew. It was, it was there. But he said, you better, uh, I don't even know what to tell you. Be careful. <laughs> well, <laughs> you get and I sobered up, uh, so it made a huge difference. I wasn't so quite so willing uh, to just hop in the sack anymore. Uh, just any way home, four or five in one night. <clears throat> None of that. Uh, it just stopped. Uh, I realized something awful is happening. Why doesn't anybody know about it? Uh, Mm -hmm. We had, it was just the, the tests became available, and the first test, it was terrible. It wasn't always correct. The false positives. I got to know Dr. Don Francis um, and quite a few other people, uh, <laughs> CDC, and we knew. Uh, there's many of them uh, I still know today. Uh, we kept in touch. I, I really, I didn't mind knowing 
people like getting worked in radio. <laughs> you know, I say I, I worked in radio and broadcasting was my dream of my life. I was always going to be one of those little people in that box. <laughs> I was curious as a kid, right? Take that damn thing apart. <laughs> tubes and all, and uh, try and find those little people with the voices. <laughs> so I, I I didn't mind being, I, I guess some people might, might say, you know, I, on first approach, I'm kind of reserved and quiet. And <clears throat> it doesn't take long to tick the right buttons, as you know. Uh, and it was telling people, uh, how do you tell someone there's a really bad bug going around <laughs> that appears to be only happening to, to gay men? Well, how do you stop? How do you prevent it? How do you know? And then it comes up on television on Jerry Falwell and all the rest of those creepy people from television. The gay play. Huh? Is <laughs> you what? <laughs> what do you know? Uh, you know, and you get called this every day. And now it becomes a fag, you know, as they kick the hell out of you. you don't it became an identity. And it, it was an identity that was thrust on everybody. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't fun. Uh, I'm glad that younger people don't have to deal with that right now. I mean, it's still there, and I hope there are, well, I, I keep up to date on, on the stats. I, I get the newsletters and stuff from CDC and the rest, and uh, it's sad to see that, geez, why are millions of people still living with this every day, you know? Well, I think it's a great. I think it's a great uh, thing to say right now is that uh, there is something called prep uh, that people can take, uh, but it's also important to know that simply because you take prep doesn't mean that you do not practice safe sex as well. You know, it's a combination of everything. Uh, prep does help; it gives peace of mind, but safety, 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 and safety is fun. So making sure that, uh, you know, the shout out to people to uh, uh, do use the resources available, but play safe. Um, it's Please. also just announced that there's going to be an injection where an injection that you can take every two months when it comes to medication and that's being piloted. So there's, there's movement, but we still need to focus and we need to bring down the rates of HIV and AIDS across the world. Oh, I read about that actually on uh, RT uh, this morning. Uh, that there, this is still not, uh, I was reading about it, you know, a single shot. Uh, we've come a long way with, I know people that have been living with HIV for 30 years mm -hmm. and now they're down to a single pill but I don't want that to become the, the banner of oh good I, I, I need it by 
no, you don't. Just when you think you beat it, <laughs> come slamming back at you. And then what do you do? We're coming to the end of our time that we can have this conversation. And there's going to be many months more over the next coming months and years as this podcast continues and as it evolves. There's something that I know about you when it comes to diaries and note taking and compiling information. Is it true that you do you have a diary that you've documented things throughout your life? Yes. So since I was 13. Since you were 13. So my question to you is one day are people going to be able to read the sordid tales of Dennis Cambly and everything that's gone on day after day since you've started that journal slash diary? No, I don't know. I thought about it. I, I, I lost a friend just recently who was uh, an author of many, many books. Um, and sort of another lovely, lovely person who lives in North Dakota. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was kind of giving, he had given me a lot of tips over the years. Just write it. <laughs> you know, just write it. And I said, oh yeah. You know how I am. And he says, yeah. But that's that's what will happen. He says, and I said, well, that's quite the same when I'm by myself. I mean, I don't sit here. My cat and I have a chat. Uh, you know, I don't smoke as much pot now. Um, now that it's legal. I understand uh, that, yes. <laughs> you know, I have. I actually have entries in my journals when I was high on LSD. <laughs> And I read them and I go, holy, holy. You know, uh, well, I bring this up because uh, the second episode of Tales of the LGBTQ Plus uh, last year, I had an interview with Robert Hamilton. And Robert Hamilton was based here in Edmonton for a brief while. Uh, and he wrote a book about growing up in the 80s, in the age of HIV and AIDS. And in his book, he talked about his best friend, uh, who was part of the court and uh, did succumb to AIDS um, in the early 90s. He based it all from his diary entries. So it's a book that's diary entries that just led us through uh, his life. So it definitely can be written from the select diary entries for sure. I'm a teacher, so I'm throwing this out as a possible homework assignment uh, to you. Uh, to and we will work on the other end to try to get funding for Edmonton Archives so we can have the pictures included to go with it. So that's your homework assignment, Dennis. Oh, thanks. We want, we want the book, and Gee, it can be a series of books. Gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you know, I, I could write a book about times. I was asked a couple of weeks ago, just the summer, uh, to write, uh, an article about times 10, but don't include yourself. <laughs> and I thought, mm, okay, well, write it from third person. And I said, okay. So I got hold of one of my colleagues from the university and said, explain to me how you write from third person. 
the project is your life. Uh, well, that's just someone being silly. <laughs> It'd be very difficult, extremely difficult, especially if you're telling the story at times 10, because that's a crucial part of you and your learning and who you've become. You know, so writing a, a story about times 10, I could, there's a book I could write about times 10, some of the crap that went on. I don't, I might have to leave town after it's. <laughs> The Sorted Tales. It's the Sorted Tales. Let me bring something to the screen for people who are watching this on YouTube. And I'll make sure that I say this out loud to our audio listeners. Uh, Dennis does have a website. Uh, it's Dennis Cambly, D-E-N-N-I-S-C-A-M-B-L-Y.com. Dennis, you are a writer and people can go there and uh, learn more about uh, your interests and what you're really thinking about um, on whatever day that is, when it talks about the environment and otherwise, uh, definitely a worthy uh, website to check out information for people. Uh, so that's denniscambly.com. And Dennis will update this whenever he does while he is writing the sordid tales of his book, because <laughs> we will come back and we'll chat throughout the year, but Dennis, Christmas of next year, I want a gift wrap copy of the book. I'm just telling you, you can self-produce. You're funny. <laughs> for for our audio listeners, uh, there's an exasperated look on Dennis's face. And he's like, yeah, I like this idea, but I also don't like <laughs> it. And I don't know what to do. So That's right. So, Dennis, I just wanted to thank, on behalf of everybody who's listening, thank you very much for the time spent here today, uh, sharing a little bit about Times 10, a little bit about yourself. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to come back together for part two when the time is right. <laughs> One last question for you, Dennis. Um, I always go back to the 15 or 16-year-old self because, for me, the age of 15 was really – large for myself, for finding myself with family, everything. So my question to you, Dennis, is if you had a chance to talk to the 15 year old you, what would you tell him? Grow up. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> you don't want to run around your whole life. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I was very, uh, very, very shy when I in that age, and uh, loved the outdoors as I do now. I, I still love the outdoors. Uh, I mean, I mean, going into the forest, you know, just going for two months. Uh, so it was different. I, I went to a private school. I, I had three months off. Uh, when you went, <laughs> you had eleven courses, you know. It wasn't like it is uh, today uh, for kids. Uh, it was very strict. But it was around 15 when I started to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's around that time. And I, I would go back to the 14 year olds and say, okay, smart ass, uh, start asking questions. Mm -hmm. I probably get slapped. I do on that. But uh, make it work, you know, ask questions, 
questions. Question more. And if you read something, question it. Just don't go blind into life. Look around. There's no one source for everything. There's, there's a story, then look behind the story. Why is something being put in your face when there's so much else and you can look around your own home and see what's happening in your own home and look around the world and say, is, is it only happening here? It's happening. The world's got smaller. We can communicate faster. So as communication goes faster, words change and words get left out and the stories get condensed shorter and tighter and lots of information is left out of the story. So go and read it in other from other sources and try and open your mind to those things. You'll love life a lot more. Don't let anybody walk all over you. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, I agree completely. I agree. And as you were talking, um, when you do a book title, uh, there's always that smaller title and then there's that longer part afterwards. Oh. So I'm just throwing it out here again. Um, the book is going to be called Smart Ass, The Formation and Sorted Tales of Times 10. Homework assignments, Christmas 2022, underneath my um, Christmas tree. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank oh. you. <laughs> Thank you. As he's like, I wish I had never done this podcast. <laughs> well, everybody, on behalf of Dennis, my name is Douglas Parsons, and I just want to thank you again for uh, listening to this episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. Please check out our previous episodes. There's a wide variety of people that I've chatted with, and I look forward to all the conversations for the future. 2022, an excellent year to learn from each other. And as has been mentioned, just to communicate better. Until next time, everyone, please be good and always text when you get home. Goodbye for now. <laughs>